What's up, everybody? This is LibUX, a podcast about design and user experience for libraries and the higher ed web. I'm Michael. I'm Amanda. And we've been on hiatus. This uh, The summer is about to wind down. This episode, there are no guests, no real topics. It's just me and Amanda taking the opportunity to um, kind of catch up, and we figured we'd let you in all on this episode in just a few. So this is a perfect opportunity to, um, since we don't really have a guest right now, to kind of perfect our new uh, soundboard that I'm really quite pleased with. You know, there's there's kinks to hammer out, there's kind of like the flow, but um, I'm I'm super amused. I wish it was a few seconds shorter. <laughs> it's already like one of the shortest intros. We could probably uh, chop it down too. Um, in the podcast that's going out um, this evening as of the time we record, which is with Steve Thomas, um, it's a real garbage truck on fire scenario, but it's it's pretty fun. So this is actually the second time we're using this uh, live intro soundboard thing, and um, um, and already it's it's way better than the first. Um, so soon, like 10 episodes from now, we'll have it down. Yeah, I just got to get used to you int- introducing ourselves and then having the music, and then we go on. Yeah, um, and clearly I didn't warn you <laughs> or anything. <laughs> um, I just kind of made it up as I go. But I'm um, I'm really happy. So the other thing that we're doing is, uh, um, even though we're definitely recording ourselves individually just as a backup. Um, we are recording live and um, not that we've ever had many live listeners when we did do it but um, but you know I just kind of figured it'd be fun to bring it back. It, I, it also kind of solves this um, ubiquity question because I'd kind of, because we're on like all the different podcatchers but now that YouTube has YouTube Red which I guess allows you to basically close the app and listen to, you know, music videos and podcasts or whatever while the phone's in your pocket mm-hmm. and the app is closed. Um, I kind of want to have LibUX just there too, um, and not for any real gain. I don't think we, I don't think we have any followers on our channel, um, but um, it's just a ubiquity thing. And if it doesn't, if we record live and it's automatically there, then um, you know, why not? Well, you know, I haven't listened to my personal music collection in eons because I just listen to everything via YouTube. Yeah, right. I have so I have Spotify, and it's the same thing. I have this pile of CDs that are in my glove compartment in my car because my car um, is paid off, and my intention is to drive it into the ground. But I have all these CDs because my car was made. My car is 2005, um, so it's post cassette, but pre. Um, auxiliary input, so it's only CDs. <laughs> um, but I never, I never use it because I always have headphones in. But um, but Spotify, yeah. Um, and what's crazy is like the algorithmic Spotify, the um, it's random weekly playlist for you. It's really pretty good. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot, hearing people talking about um, 
we're going to get away from actually owning things to just like streaming absolutely everything. And I heard this from a futurist, I think, at Internet Librarian 2011. And, you know, back then everybody thought he was absolutely insane. But I think this whole idea with the music is was right on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, it's certainly true for me. I think that's probably true for movies, too. Um, I'm never going to give up my VHS copy of The Lion King, though. <laughs> well, I have uh, I have on VHS, I have the original Star Wars cut, um, and so I hear they're going to re-release it, or they already have. I think they're going to. They're going to do the pre-George Lucas edits, um, and re-release them on like Blu-ray or DVD, um, but I don't trust. I don't trust that they're ever actually going to do it. So I, I hold on to these tapes. I have nothing to play it on. Um, but I guess I could just rip them. I, I guess that's what my library is for. Well, they're copyright protected, though. Yeah, but doesn't it fall under? Um, oh, I guess if it's not the library's copy, then you're right. I don't know. Are we not allowed to? rip our own media to a device just for our own use? I'm not entirely sure. I know there's the whole thing with accessibility for um, visually impaired people can have one copy, but I don't know about what the, what is it, the DMCA says about that. So that's one thing that's really kind of um, bizarre is that I have been working really closely with... Um, our university's copyright uh, copy, copyright officer. His um, his boss is my boss. So even though we don't we're not in the same department or anything, um, you know we have this like link, right? So um, so I guess it's been a while since I've worked closely with him. But I set up his copyright copyright blog um, for the university, and so I've been subscribing to it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really um, man, copyright is really complex and. Um, messed up, but I, it's is interesting too because you, you know with what I work on, you know I, I'm always worrying about book cover copyright and you know things like that. Um, and I don't know, it's just it's just um, it's just a really weird thing. I, like so, so we are getting this um, Holocaust memorial. Um, put into our library. So we have this old binding room um, that hasn't been used in a long time. So they're going to... Um, I, I guess a major donor has this huge um, Holocaust collection and he is going to uh, donate it. And so we're going to have a Holocaust room, um, which is kind of cool. I've been building kind of the website for it and it's going to do some special things. But he had a request in that he donated along with his collection like all these Hollywood movies like Schindler's List and what he wants to do is like if you are in that room you can and you visit this uh, website that I'm building you can click the Schindler's List cover and it will just play right there. I'm not sure how I feel about that from a user experience. Don't me either. Um, the but like you know the idea is that it'll kind of like just open up kind of like a light box on your screen and there you go. You just have to play. You don't have to go check out our copy or log in or do anything. So 
I guess the copyright our copyright officer like you know gave this a thumbs up like hey it's okay as long as you know they're specifically in that location, but the implementation of that like you know you have to rip I'm t- and I'm not it's not just Schindler's List it's like 21 videos, Hollywood videos that we have to rip and we have to store them someplace that someone can't find them mm-hmm. and just leak them out. <laughs> Yeah, um, we used Handbrake to rip some old VHS tapes of library programs from like the 90s, and it's a pain. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it is a pain, and I, I feel really dirty kind of working on this thing. <laughs> like, uh, but I'm actually pretty happy with um, some of like the the other things I had to make just to make it work. So I've been kind of, I don't know what you call them. You know, like uh, every library website has them. Um, I don't know, a book carousel is basically, it's a carousel that, you know, you click right or left on it and it just has like, you know, new materials or something. Yes. So I, we, we, first, we don't have any system that provides that. We don't have anything that feeds us book covers or, or, or out of our, we don't have anything that feeds us this kind of collection or new material collections out of our, um, ILS. So um, we we do have a subscription to Syndetics, which gives gives us all of our uh, book and AV covers. But we don't have like a feed for whatever. Now there are a couple of vendor products we have, like Flipster, that gives us a you know new magazine carousel. But all that I can find, and I, I mean I trolled library websites. I was just looking um, for it because I kind of want to make one or implement it because I think I found a workaround but everything I can find is um, really not accessible and it's like really heavy with JavaScript like really heavy um, but mostly it's not accessible because I've been working on all these like accessibility projects so I'm super aware um, mm-hmm. so anyway long story short I decided I was going to make a little carousel to have all these movie covers because like I said there's 21 movie covers um, so rather than have them all kind of like stack on top of each other, they're just going to be in this carousel. But I couldn't find one I liked, and so I started making one, um, and I'm really pleased with it, more or less. I'm as it is what it is. It's a carousel, um, but it's totally like keyboard accessible and functional. I'm just I'm just pretty happy. So some there's some light at the end of this. Nice. I'm looking forward to seeing that because you know we just got book carousels on our new website too. Yeah, I was gonna ask. So, like, since shoot, I don't know. Since since June since 1st. we last really talked, yeah, because we kind of went on Libby X hiatus for the entire summer. You and your um, colleagues launched a new um, library website and like a new updated version of SOPAC. Uh, and I don't think we've ever talked about that on the podcast before, but it's really quite a feat. I mean, you guys got a lot of kudos and. Um, and SOPAC is really pretty impressive. Yeah, John and James did a lot of work on that. I was not privy to that start because I was more on the front end with content and the user experience research part. Uh, so I don't know too much, but, you know, because I only heard the their discussions on the side at our bigger UX meetings. It's really cool, and I, and I wonder if, like, they'd be um, interested in joining us because I... I'd love to just talk, like, spend an episode to talk about SOPAC, because um, I guess not to like spoil this episode that's not been planned yet, but it's um, it's really cool. It's it's I don't I don't even know the lingo. I'm a bad librarian. It's a works level catalog. So if you type in Harry Potter, you're going to get you know 
Um, let's say you do Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and you guys, in most catalogs, certainly in ours, you have it. You have the movie. You have the the play. You know the script. You have the um, book, and these all appear as different records. Um, yes. So what you guys have, you just have a single title, and the different media, the ebook, the print book, all of that, just consolidated to that um, UI, and that's really cool. It's super cool. Yeah, I really like it. Um, I did catch one the other day because I was like, where's my book at? Because I have the entire um, A Book Apart series. So oh, I yeah. was making a little book list for that, and I couldn't find one, so I had to ask James. And he's like, oh, oops, two of them got merged together because they were written by the same author. Oh. <laughs> Which one? I'm curious. What, uh, what, uh, what are you reading uh, from A Book Apart right now? Um, I know I have this nice new SVG thing to be looking at, but... <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think which one. Oh, I was reading the Eric Meyer one recently, which is um, Designing for Real Life, which has things like, so you think it's really cute and funny for your website to make, like, kind of a flirty gesture, but for some people that could be, like, really upsetting. Interesting. Go Tell me more. Um, It's been a while since I read it. But it was for one of these major companies, and I think it was actually tracking social media. And if somebody had like liked you a lot, or you know, like commented a lot on you about social media, like the messages that this dashboard would give you would be like, "Ooh, how nice!" Oh and then no! You had somebody going, "Going, thanks. That was my stalker. I really oh, appreciate no. this." So that was That's... the last. Um, a, book apart I was reading. That's super interesting. That gets into that whole, you know, conversational UI um, topic where, you know, MailChimp does it with their voice and tone guide. Uh, just, um, hey, just something for, instead of like an alert that's really stoic, you have such and such notification. It's like, uh, it's a human language, right? It's like coming from a friend. Hey, man, you've got um, a book on hold or, or whatever, you know, conversational. Yeah. Um, but I can see how, yeah, if you're not careful, if you're, um, you might just offend someone. I just, I was thinking about, I'm in one of these Slack channels. I'm in like 10 Slack channels. Um, but there was one where I wrote, hey guys, how are you doing? And where I'm from in Michigan, guys is, you know, we treat it sort of gender neutral. You know, like, hey guys, it's just how you greet people, yeah. um, but Slackbot uh, kind of interrupted and was like, hey, should, don't you mean pals? <laughs> or, or what about team? And I was like, oh my gosh, I have never even thought about that. And I, I'm kind of paranoid that in my conversational microcopy that I've added to various websites, I, I wonder if I'm using guys everywhere, like, hey guys, is like, or, or I, like to, I like to say, like, hey gang, <laughs> but like, I don't... Um, I don't again like I don't know like maybe no one gets offended by that but maybe someone does and maybe that someone is really loud. <laughs> um I was very hyper aware of guys when I was younger. Um cuz you know growing up in the environment where uh, men are treated better than you and your brother is much more awesome and interesting no matter what happens in your life. Uh I was a little bit like <sighs> guys, but now I'm just like, eh, I'm old, whatever. <laughs> but that's my personal thing. 
because guys is very common there in uh, Western North Carolina. There is um there was like a funny tweet I was I'm gonna not do it justice but it was um a, there were a couple linguists talking back and forth and they were looking for like a future a future participle of y'all. I, uh, this is yes, this is I saw clearly this. yeah this is clearly where I'm way out of my element so I'm sure I just didn't even explain that correctly but um it was something like it was like why if you do that again I'm going to like whip all y'alls <laughs> or something like that oh yeah that's common enough all y'all <laughs> all y'all but like plural like yeah that's what it was it was, it was like a future plural. For y'alls, like so, like so, I guess, like in some cases, y'all can be singular. Um, how y'all doing? <laughs> just, just depending, just in the way that you is singular and you is plural as well. And um, like I went down this like rabbit hole where I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. I would use yeah, y a. How you Wait, doing? For multiples? No, for singular. You just said uh, y'all is uh, singular, and I was like, mm, I would not have done that. There's uh, the one language uh, or linguistic pet peeve I have is when people use ain't in the plural. So they'll say um, we ain't, or even in, yeah, even you ain't, or something like that. And it really bothers me because ain't is a contraction of am not. So, <laughs> so every time I hear we ain't. Like, I immediately think they're yelling, we am not. <laughs> and I feel obligated to speak up. <laughs> I'm like, hey, no, no. Ain't is perfectly grammatically correct in a descriptive manner, but only when used with a single possessive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, in the past year, I've decided to embrace my southerness and allow y'all to slip into some of my work emails. Because I'm just like, ah, screw their very sensitive New England <laughs> uh, sensibilities. I'm just going to say, how y'all doing? Do you think that's because you're no longer in the South? Uh, which part? Well, I meant, so like, so you are, you, you know, you left, I guess, what Northerners think of the South. Yeah. Um, and you are now, like, effectively in New England. Well, I guess that's what you just said. So you're, you are definitely in Yankee territory now. So you feel like... um. You're reclaiming your yeah. lingo. I, I felt like I've been I've had to make a conscious effort to reintroduce the word pop into my vocabulary because I've been saying like soda. I just just because just to communicate, but now I feel like you know what? Screw communication. Pop is a is a, a much more like colorful colorful term for that delicious <laughs> soft drink. There's a totally a chance if you were to say, hey, if we ever meet in person one day, and you're like, oh yeah, let me go get a pop. I'd probably be like. Why is he getting his father? Oh wow! I, I never that like of all the different things that went through my mind right there, I um I did not think that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, linguistics are fun. So <laughs> kind of pulling this more around towards a little UX thing. When I was writing the content for the website, I was very conscious of trying to be user friendly. So one of the questions on our FAQs is like, I have a fine. What? And my response is, I think I wrote, whoops, we're so sorry to hear that. The library tries to offer these blah, blah, blah. But the part that I like there is I went, whoops. 
as the like very beginning too. of that. I use I use oops a lot. I'm like oops. <laughs> um, <laughs> my favorite. I there was a Smashing Magazine article, I think just within the last week, all about microcopy. And so I had this great idea that hey, if I shared some of mine, um, like the rest of you know, kind of like the larger LibUX community would send me screenshots of theirs, and it never happened. But um, and I because I had this idea, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna gonna collect a library microcopy, like specifically like cute library microcopy mm-hmm. or whatever. But my favorite one is, uh, you know, because a lot of the stuff I do, like once people finally realize it's there, like I have to take it out. Um, but I um I'm really happy that for the last three years our um, study room reservation um, app has um, basically like emoticons like in all the microcopy just like smiley face winky face <laughs> you know and I have like one where it's like a, just a flat the, the flat staring face you know where it's like lips are just um, a straight line yeah where because you have to um, acknowledge a disclaimer in certain cases for instance like if the room is maybe like a 10 or 12 person room and you're just an individual, you know, you can register it for yourself, but you're going to have to like show up with a group, right? Cause the group gets the priority. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, you know, you just have to acknowledge that. And if you click like um, register or, or whatever the button says before you acknowledge, it becomes kind of um, red and just kind of like wide eyed staring in shock and reminds you to click the disclaimer, and then as soon as you click the disclaimer, like it becomes green and like happy face. And I'm really pleased with it. I just think it's so super cute. Um, and the I, other thing that I'm really pre- pleased of, and you know, I keep talking about it, so someone's going to stumble on it, is that in our new Novacat or our, our new catalog redesign, if there's um, if no book cover is found, it's a picture of a cat like hitting a ball of yarn, and it says Novacat is busy <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, didn't you show that in the uh, LibUX Slack and people were like, cute, but not sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. I mean, our new cover is um, our logo. I think that is really smart. Now, I mean, you may know that we don't have a logo. We have the university inherited um, logo with our long library name appended to it. That works. Uh, just put the uh, library, I mean, the university image in. I think Novacat is just, is just a little bit like more forgiving. You know, if you see if you see the Novacat and he's just like looking all cute there with his little ball of yarn, you're like, oh, you know I forgive this system for not working properly. <laughs> yeah. I think it's adorable. <laughs> but I'm not a administration. <laughs> I guess that's the key. Um, <laughs> so I'm a so I've been um, writing a lot of stuff for administration. I'm just going to use that as a segue. Um, so I'm writing this uh, um, article about the Kano model, finally. Like, I'm fi- like finally writing an article about the Kano model, and I'm so happy. Um, and, like, my whole point is, like, my whole selling point is, like, you use this to convince library administration to do the right thing, <laughs> because clearly without the Kano model... They'll only do the wrong thing. I, <laughs> I, I love I love this thing so much. I'm so I went back and listened to our podcast on it, and I'm like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I was like, oh, that wasn't one that wasn't one of our great ones. No, no, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know, 
So, since this is the anything goes random chatty thing, I noticed that since we talk to each other on this podcast and we have interviewed other people, that when I do UX interviews, they're easy peasy for me. I'm, you know, I don't get awkward about it, and I have little ways of like prompting a person to kind of like, like go on. Uh, don't actually say that, but I'm like magic of podcasting. You get a little bit more confident about things. I think that's really true. I I always thought that I would be able to work on my ums and stuff, and I don't think that's really been the case. But I really don't have the fear of just uh, asking questions anymore. You know, I was going to tell you, um, I think you know, uh, one of our most popular podcasts goes all the way back to your interview with uh, Frank Scornia. Yay! And because that was, I think, the first time that um, our schedules conflicted and you had to do it um, all by yourself. And I think that might have been, like, before episode 10. So it was within the first batch. And um, it's really popular, and you're a really good interviewer. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, I've been interviewing my grandma about the family history, too. Oh, are you uh, recording it? Oh, yeah, my phone. Have you thought about podcasting it, not to belabor the podcasting point? Like, podcast... Yeah, so I was I, I was thinking about doing this with my dad. My dad's 70. He, um, great health, but, you know, um, but I don't get to talk to him as much as, you know, I, I give him a call once a week or whatever, but I kind of thought that he was in a, um, he was in Vietnam. He did two tours in Vietnam, and I would love to just get him talking and record it. And because of his, you know, the historical nature of, and, and just he's just an interesting dude, I kind of thought, you know, like, you don't, you don't have to do what we do. You don't have to pay for podcast hosting. You could, you know, host it somewhere free. And I think there might be, like, an audience for just kind of smart people who've lived a lot to just, talk. I think there's a real audience for that and I'm, I'm I think you know you may I don't know. I don't know if your uh, if your folks I, would be okay with that, but I think that would be really cool. Wow, actually I love that. Um because I'm always looking for a decent podcast and you know there's some history ones, but it's always much more interesting when you have like storytellers. Well, and that's what that's one of the things I think that especially like public libraries have an opportunity not to always just backtrack on the library thing, but you can create or open up like a collection that you own to basically an RSS feed. Because, yeah, I I listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History and there's a couple other ones, but those are so few and far between um, that, yeah, I think that's where I was too. I was just thinking like, oh, man, I want more of this, but I don't know what the search term is or I don't know how to find it. Um, but I, I just think it would be cool. And plus there's something sort of immortalizing about it. So we can we can save the recordings and we can put them away on a giant hard drive and backed up indefinitely, but once it's released to the internet, it's there forever. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> pardon me, I've done some transcription work and I worked a little bit with the um, Women's Veterans Oral History Project there at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And yeah, it's just, I mean... I, my dream is to be a digital projects coordinator someday, 
but I definitely understand that the average person isn't going to be going around trolling a university library website looking for cool oral histories, but if it was being like released in more accessible formats than where I want it to be, when I want it, um, might get more use. So W, I think it's WNYC, which is the, I, um, I don't know if it's an NPR station. I think it might be, but it may not be. So just forget that. But I know it's WNYC. They have been trying to solve this problem where um, YouTube and now Facebook, and especially Facebook Live, they are image and video uh, pri pri prioritizing. They, you know, th this is the kind of content they they prefer to show because you know it gets the most engagement. Um, it's how they can insert ads, etc. And there's not really a really good way to share audio clips, right? There's not. It's not. In all that oh, engaging. You yeah. can link to it. You can um, SoundCloud does something with like their little audiogram thing, but that's I think just one product. So WNYC. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say you can't upload just audio to YouTube. Right. So well, that's exactly what we're doing right now, <laughs> except for I guess it's our pulsing faces. Um, but um, so so you know SoundCloud is a proprietary thing and. Um, maybe you don't, and I think again, you know, storage. Uh, there's a cost to it, but WNYC just open sourced their audiogram code, and it's not plug and play by all means. But the idea is that on your local computer, you can um, run a couple of commands, and it will basically create an audiogram. By which I mean the basically the visualization of the the voice meter. You know what I'm talking um, about, Um, right? By the way, is this anything like the thing from, like, Windows 98 where you'd be listening to your audio and then it'd be like, here's some trippy graphics being generated. No, no, no. That's cool, too. But, no, this is, like, really standard. So, like, you know, if you think about... I don't know. I think it's really... I find this really difficult to describe verbally. Um, I think about, like, horror movies. So, like... Imagine like a big old black screen in the cinema, and I don't know. There's like a pulse or whatever, and you see the pulse. Like it's it's just a, basically a flat white line, almost like a heartbeat monitor, but it's for your audio. Um, so that's what they're calling an audiogram, and so they're releasing this tool that takes your audio clip or your entire audio file, and it creates a video rendition, just on, just the audiogram, um, so that um, without having to, I don't know, open up a tool on your computer yourself and create the video and import the audio, um, it becomes just a, a command line, da -da -da, create audio, or create, create audiogram, and then you have something that you can share on Facebook or on Twitter or to all these, like, video, uh, high, like, high video um, prioritizing feeds. So what it ultimately is, is yeah, it's a video in your news feed, but it starts to play on its own just as, you know, Facebook does and Twitter does now, autoplay. Um, but it's a video of just the audio. So it's just basically like a static image with your audiogram. And, but it's, it's a way that you can share a clip interactively. Otherwise, you know, when we share like an MP3, you know, hey, here's our latest podcast, blah, blah, blah. When we share that 
um, it's a link, and someone has to click on it, and it opens up a new window, and, you know, that's... I mean, you're going to lose, shoot, 75% of the people just by that mere inconvenience. People don't want to leave Facebook. They don't want to leave Twitter to look at your article or, or listen to your podcast um, unless there's a huge value, perceived value to that. So, but if they could just do it right in their stream, and, you know, then there you have a hook there. Yeah. So so I've been watching all this like watching reading all this uh podcast industry news that you know there's big money coming into it. We kind of talked about this with Steve Thomas which by the time this podcast goes live, you know, people will hear, but um it's really interesting. It's a really it's a it's a really quickly changing landscape. Kind of like blogging was, you know, 10 years ago. It's uh people are experimenting. It's not that easy to just share a clip with your friend, you know? It's um, it's just interesting. I don't well, know. I mean, that's why I picked up Snapchat is so I could send little video clips to people, and it's like mine are mostly my cats are adorable, but whatever. All right, so we are running out of time here, and I was gonna say, I realized that what you were describing was StoryCorps. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, that's mind-amazing. No one has done... Wait, that sounds familiar. All right, <laughs> so at this episode, we didn't actually talk too much about UX or what we've been doing, but I hope people enjoy just a discussion. There's a, there's a couple of things that people who, um, who feel incredibly unsatisfied at this point can go do if they're interested. Um, we have... It's, it's pretty experimental, but we have started a LibUX book club which is on Goodreads, but you can also find out more information anywhere we are, our social media or in our Slack channel. Um, but we're, we started a book club, and so in July there were 11 of us, and we read uh, Sprint by uh, Jack Knapp, I think. This uh, We're now voting on the book to read in August. And, um, okay, like so admittedly, the participation has been super low, but I think it's a really good excuse to kind of read this stuff and become better and uh, talk about it. So I'm going to really be pushing it hard, and I've already got up. Just today I got it up from like 11 members to uh, 23 in the book club. So I'm hoping like um, it'll uh, go. So if... Book clubs are your thing, and you want to read one UXE piece, um, a book, not an article, um, per month. And we, you know, hopefully we'll pick good ones. Um, please join. I think it'll be super fun. Um, I have this idea that we'll spin up like a hangout, and we'll actually have a discussion. And of course, you know, there's going to be the forums on Goodreads, and of course, the Slack channel, um, and. All that good stuff. So I think it's a really cool opportunity to geek out with some fellow geeks. Um, so that's kind of what I'm excited about now. Amanda, are you presenting or doing anything in the next... Uh... Yes. Um, I actually put it up yesterday at libux.co slash talks. That on... <laughs> I forgot about that page. <laughs> well, I put it back in the menu. Um Thank Thursday, you. August 11th at 12 noon Eastern. I don't know if it's still open for registration, but um, my colleague Mallory... I don't know how to pronounce... Lawrence? Is that Ma no, no, no. Mallory Arts, I think. I feel bad. Oh, um, you did add it to the menu. Thank you. <laughs> we are uh, 
going to be talking about digital tools for business and I attended a direct mail class last week so I have some nice new stuff to add to that. Not that I expect that you guys asked because I'm I think I'm the only one who's anal enough to ask but um, if you guys uh, are able to or interested in seeking permission to kind of like record your end um, It'd be really cool if we could like re-release it, um, you know, a month or so later here <laughs> as LibUX content. Yeah, I'll ask. Well, that would be cool, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, at the end of uh, I2M, I2M presenting at the end of um, August, I I'm really trying to see when um, upcoming classes. Here we go. Um, I think it's like August 24th. Um, but at the end of August, I am teaching a workshop. It's an hour and a half. It is free, um, but the priority is totally given to um, f members of uh, the Northeast Florida Library Information Network. So, um, you know, Northern Florida first, but everyone else last. Totally free. Um, on August 23rd, excuse me, I'm teaching um, service design for libraries from map to blueprint. And I, uh, and the the practical service blueprint and the journey map are really conducive to kind of like online training because there's a lot of tools and visuals that you can do without actually having to be, you know, physically present with everywhere with everyone. So, um, so that's going to be a long one. I'm really excited about that. Um, and I would love that, you know, if you guys have nothing to do or maybe if you do and, uh, you guys need an excuse to get out of a meeting or whatever, um, <laughs> Please like um, sign up for one of uh, one of our talks, uh, like Amanda's or mine or both, um, and those that come up because um, you know what? Good turnout for this kind of stuff uh, begets more stuff like this. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so if you're into the design and user experience, or if you're into content management and strategy, um, by all means, you know, uh, vote with your presence. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Michael. Cool. All right, everybody. That is it. Of course, you can find this uh, and other episodes in your podcatchers of choice. You can always visit us at libux.co. Please like and review. That's how more people discover our presence. Um, and even though you might think that we're super-duper niche, um, it helps. Um, and uh, also, if you've got like any like soundboard tips, by all means, hit me up because I am about to play the outro in three, two, one.